Blog Talk Radio. That's an event. That's an event to be there. 
It is. I, like once I, I decided to put the beard on the line for charity, I stopped trimming it. So it's 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 so out of control. <laughs> it really is out of control. So there's a few things like let's. I want to cap off. It's funny, and I'm I'm not going to mention his name. I mean, he calls in at some point. He knows where I am. But uh, someone who got like we we kind of got into it, and we went to college together, and we got into it on the uh, toxic masculinity thing. And I just started going to cap it because after everything happened last week, he decided to write a blog. And, I mean, blogging, I mean, to me, like, with blogging, I mean, like, what we're doing now, this is bullshit. Uh, blogging doesn't change anything. This really doesn't change. Go out and do something. And, and with all due respect, I mean, he, he, he was in the military, so thank him for his service. But uh, to me, like, you, you wrote a blog. Um, I mean, big fucking deal. Uh, <laughs> go out and do something. Um, you know, the blog, though, was weird. Cause, and honestly, it was funny because I read it. I read most of it. And the interesting thing was he kind of almost proved my point by the metaphor that he decided to use to intro his thing. And, and his whole thing, which either he proved my point or it didn't make any sense. But anyway, he said like, all right, and I'm paraphrasing that there's water. Water, be like water. Be like water. Water's not toxic, right? True. Okay. Add poison. Add poison. Then water's toxic. So it was kind of a all right, like men aren't toxic, but if certain behaviors are added to being a man, then it's, and that was kind of the vibe, which it's, it's a bigger, it's a bit of a stretch. But the thing is, the way I look at it is, and I'll ask you this, does water have a gender? Uh, not the last time I checked. I hope not. Even in 2019, water does not have a gender. Does poison have a gender? Okay. So my point is, toxicity is inherent in certain behaviors. It's not attributed to either gender. Toxic masculinity does not exist. It's not a thing. It's a bullshit psychological term, and it should just be thrown out. I am right there with Meryl Streep. It doesn't work. And you can either it's one or two things you can have right now. It's either one, you throw it out, which is what I think, or two, to your point. Then we're going to say there's toxic masculinity and there's toxic femininity and and we're going to believe in, in both of them. But you can't have one without the other. Well, this is true. And, and I think it's, again, it's our tendency to put labels on things. Uh, just uh, an example out of the dark, uh, homophobia or anything, you know, anything phobia. Uh, a, a phobia is an irrational fear. But you know, we, we've taken it to the extreme where if you disagree with someone of said group, what if you dis, just if you disagree with them, you, you're not you're not uh, insulting them, you're not calling them any names. I just disagree with you. Well, then er, you are exphobic. Well, I don't have an irrational fear of you. I'm just disagreeing with you. Right, and, and it's lazy. It's it's lazy. Like I I could disagree with I could disagree with someone who's gay about whatever. And it doesn't make me homophobic. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make me, it doesn't make me a bigot. It doesn't make me hate gays. It just means we're having a disagreement. And it's a cop-out. It really is a cop-out that when you say, you know, I had this viewpoint, oh, well, you're a bigot. No, no, no I'm just, I, I'm, I'm trying to have a discussion here. And, and it's just such an easy cop-out. And the, the interesting thing about this guy, again, that should, uh, will remain nameless, but let me ask you something. If we, if we, if we talked about toxic behaviors, sure. okay, or toxic things, Violence, unwarranted violence, like not talking about where it's necessary, but just violence in general. Toxic? 
Generally. Yeah, okay. Excessive drinking, I mean, in the grand scheme of, can we look at that as perhaps a toxic behavior? Sure. Okay. It, can, it can lead to toxic behaviors. Having a, a bad, irrational temper. Could be considered Could be. toxic. If it's uncontrolled, absolutely. An absolute womanizer. Cheating on, on wives and committed relationships, toxic behavior? Sure. Okay. Sure. And this is where, like, I, I say, like, doing a blog, like, go out and do something. Go out and do something. Like, are, are you out there doing anything? And I don't like to, like, pat myself on the back, but since Monty the therapy dog, I've gone to women's shelters. You know, I, I've done things. I go to visit, you know, and, and it's not just me just arbitrarily saying I don't like toxic masculinity. There's, like, I'm a human being that likes to do a lot of good when I can. But this person that wrote this blog does a one-man show where he pays tribute to and impersonates Frank Sinatra. Okay. And Frank Sinatra had all – like, if you're going to glorify – now, again, I love Sinatra. I do, too. And I'm saying I don't believe in this whole toxic masculinity. But if you're going to stand and, and like, stake your flag that, like, I, I'm not going to glorify – you are literally paying tribute to maybe one of the most toxic men in the history of show business. But you write a blog and you think you change things? Like, come on, dude. Like, if you're really going to, if you really want to change things, you really think that toxic masculinity is a thing and it's really something you need to lobby against, write a blog on why you're leaving the show and you're never going to do that again. Do that. Take a stand. Sacrifice the income you're going to get on that show and say, you know what? I'm not going to do this show anymore because Sinatra was kind of a toxic dude. But no, that's not going to happen. You wrote a blog. So that's where I kind of like I have a bit of an issue where, you know, and, and again, this was my page. I posted the meme. You decided to comment. Now, now we have a thing. <laughs> now it's a, a thing. So I, that's how we're going to cap the toxic masculinity conversation. Um, but there's, some, there's a story I wanted to tell. And this is where, like, again, I, I do think in, in our world in general, um, we've stopped listening to each other. And, and, you know, and I, I share a lot of stuff on my Facebook page with the hashtag be kind, because I think we've lost that. And I think we've lost that on the right and the left. True. Um, a lot of individuals far left think they're being kind, but they're not. And they're judging, they're snap judging. And um, I wanted to bring up a story. Uh, and it's funny because on when I share this on my Facebook page, I hope he's listening. Um, this guy I was friendly with, uh, Wesley Boozer. Who, uh, what a great last name. Um, nice. I went to college with him, and he was a gay man. I'm, I'm, he still is a gay man. <laughs> um, but my college experience uh, was interesting. And this is where, like, sometimes when people ask, like, well, you're a guy. Do you know what it's like to be sexually harassed? I, I kind of do. You know, it's a weird kind of thing. And, 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 again, anyone who disagrees with me who's listening, who went to Wagner College or went to an, a similar theater program. I was a theater major. And... What was interesting about that, and look, 18-year-olds, whether you're straight or gay or, or whatever, we're a bunch of confused sons of bitches sure. at, at that age. In fact, like a great, if you get a chance to watch the video from Ash Beckham, who talks about closets and being in the closet, because she does this whole thing about everyone has closets, and it's not something that's exclusive to the gay community, because everyone, because what being in a closet amounts to is a tough conversation. So being in the closet could be you just got diagnosed with cancer, and how can I tell somebody, like, you know, I, I tell a loved one. You know, how can you tell a loved one you're, you're quitting school? 
and, and, and you need to tell someone that that's the closet you're in and, and living in a closet is no place to live. And granted, it's become something that's uh, uh, synonymous with the gay community, but I love, and Ash Beckham is a, a gay woman, um, but she talks about how that, that being in the closet is something that's universal, which I think is amazing. But going to college, you know, whether you're struggling with your sexuality or anything else, like when you're 18 years old, you're struggling with a lot of shit. And I was a straight kid growing up in the suburbs. Someone who's gay was completely foreign to me. It was just like, they don't really exist. You know, I go to college and I get to, uh, I get, let's see, uh, Mitch, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I went to school for, as Mitchell said, I'm a pretty dramatic adult. Well, you know, that's, I, that's, I got the degree in it, so. Um, so anyway, and it's why I want to, like, I, I'm wondering if Wesley's listening because he's probably, like, I wrote why he's my hero, and uh, he said he was excited and, and frightened at the same time or something like that, so I'm wondering if he's listening and so I can get to the story. But anyway, so getting to Wagner College um, as a straight guy uh, and being a theater major, I was, I was in the minority. Uh, most, most men were gay. Um, a lot of the men were upperclassmen, so... Uh, they were they were past that point of being unsure, like they come out of the closet, they were gay, you know, they were um, pretty secure in their sexuality, and and it was good. It was like you know, looking back on it, it is good for someone who is uh, you know needs to come out in in a safe, secure environment. That if you're gay, like it was safe and secure. Um, at times, it wasn't that safe and secure being a straight guy, and because of the fact that a lot of guy, you know, a lot of people don't realize that they're gay early on or they they're struggling with those feelings. And then maybe when they, they first move away from home, they realize who they are. And so there's a lot of people that, that show up to college straight, at least in my experience, and then eventually wind up coming out of the closet. Um, so there were a lot of upperclassmen that thought that literally looked at freshman guys as fresh meat, as, as <laughs> taught as much as you could say, uh, you know, Guys look at the freshman girls as fresh meat. In the theater department, freshman guys, to a lot of the upperclassmen, we were fresh meat. And it was like, can we turn you kind of thing, you know? Oh, boy. And there were times, like, looking back at it, like, in the truest sense of what it means to be sexually harassed. Yeah, I was. You know, it was, you know, because I'm adorable. <laughs> um, but, uh, and it just, and it was, it was a difficult time for me to kind of find my way because as, as you know, I Sometimes as human beings, it's easier to get angry than kind of talk about your emotions. So I got, I got pissed. Um, I was angry, um, you know, and it took me a little bit to get like more accepting to start moving in that direction. But to get into to Wesley, and this is where I, I just think that we need to, as a society, you know, Wesley ever running for office, I'd love to vote for him. But um, it was my junior year, I believe my junior year, and there was a bunch of us out on the Oval, and we were playing – catch we're playing catch with the softball and one of my buddies looked at us and there was like 10 of us and said guys do you realize we're all straight and we looked <laughs> around and we're like holy shit like we're all theater majors and that was probably at that point was probably the most straight guys at one time like in the theater department and, and most of us were performers um there are a few techies but there was a bunch of us that were performers and we were all straight and we just kind of had a laugh over it. it wasn't anything like homophobic or, or prejudicial or anything. It just, we kind of had a laugh over it. And then we decided to start a softball team and joking around, we came up with the name damn straight. Nice. We were like, all right, this is funny. Like we'll call ourselves damn straight. When I tell you the outrage and venom 
that really? was thrown my way. Um, and again, me being a stubborn bastard, um, I wasn't going to change the name. Hell no. But I, I got called racist. Where like I don't know when your sexual orientation became a race, but I was called racist. Okay. Um, there was there was shit. We had a theater bulletin board. Shit was posted on there like anti me and anti us, and it was like, guys, it's just a joke. Like, I mean, really, it really, and also it really at that point I had moved past a lot of like negative feelings, and it really was just a joke. Um, but nobody talked about it, and Wesley, and and, and it's funny because I wonder if he remembers this. But Wesley, as a gay man, was the only person to pull me aside and ask me what the hell is going on. He was the only people, again, couldn't confront me, posted shit, mm-hmm. talked shit about me, called me names. But Wesley was the guy that said, can I ask you what the deal is with the softball team? And I said, dude, it's just a joke. He's like, really? I said, it's just a joke. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, absolutely. I said, I have, I, it's just a joke. You know, I have no problem against you. I have no problem with anyone else who's gay. And he's like, what if I want to join the team? I said, absolutely, join the team. You know, what position do you play? And they looked at me and he's like, oh, no, I don't play. And it was like, and I look back on that conversation with Wesley as, as one of those, like, you know, sometimes if, if people could just shut up, stop yelling at each other, and just try to figure out where the other side is coming from, you know, maybe we have more in common than we think. And, and Wesley was one of the, the first people that I remember. And I tried to do this. And it, it, it's interesting for me because it's become more of a um, – more pertinent for me as an adult. Like I've, I found more at, at my age now thinking about that conversation with Wesley again and again because I'm just like, you know, if, if more people could be as understanding as he was, you know, maybe we'd have less of these like arguments and this, this – this venom going back and forth that, you know, he didn't have to. And in all honesty, in the theater department, if he just chimed in with the, the, the hatred and the venom that was being thrown my way at that point, like he would, I mean, he would have been a popular cat, man. Like that was, that was a thing to do to throw that like venom, like towards us because it was just easy. But he was the one that said, could you just tell me what the deal is with the softball team? And, and I always admired him for that because it really wasn't anything he had to do. We weren't, I mean, we were friendly. We weren't like best friends though or anything. He, he was under no obligation to really kind of check out and see what, what the motivation was behind it. And he did. And, and I just wish we did that more, especially now. And, and it, what's intriguing to me is as far as the left goes, where we're supposed to be, and I consider myself left, and we're supposed to be more accepting that we become, and I say we, I shouldn't say they, have become less and less accepting and, and unwilling to at least listen to what exactly is, is going on and what exactly the, the motivation is. And that, that's where uh, the, the motivation of doing the show and kind of talking about different issues and talking about where we stand has kind of come from. We're like, why are we not talking to each other? Why do we, why do we continue to yell at each other? Why when someone posts a meme that you feel the need to you know, just throw shit at someone to change their mind as opposed to just saying, huh, I wonder if they have a point. You know, I wonder if there's a point there that I, I can grab hold of. And that's where, like, I just wish we kind of, we, we, were, we were more like that. And it kind of, it struck me recently. And again, Wesley, if you're listening again, I love you, man. And thank you for that moment because uh, I look back on that and I, I am a more accepting human being right now because of that conversation. Um, but I think about, you know, and now I'm going to flippity floppy. So if you want to call, I'd love to have this conversation with you. Um, the straight pride parade. And that, that 
hit this week. And um, what I find interesting about that is um, the immediate venom thrown at it. And And I understand why. I do understand why. I understand that, you know, one of the organizers, John Hugo, has a, has a history of like far rightist uh, leanings. Um, that you know there there is the the possibility looming that this is just a thinly veiled anti homosexual march. Um, I get all of that, but the, the the immediate venom. Where first of all, I just think, well, what if? For a couple things, what if it's not that? Like, what if? And I get it. I get. It. I don't need leftist to intellectual over intellectualize things. I get the reasoning that, like, yes, as a straight man, I didn't have to fight to be straight. I understand that. You don't need to throw that at me. As a straight man, I get it that for a lot of my life it was easier to grow up than it was for a gay man. I get that. Okay, you don't need to throw that in my face. And I know that, like, gay pride and again, happy Gay Pride Month, that marches and gay pride parades is all also about gay rights and gay equality. Um, and, uh, and I haven't had to fight for straight equality. I get that. So don't, you don't need to throw that in my face. I understand all that. I'm not an idiot. But what if this is just going to be a bunch of men and women marching through Boston saying we're just proud of who we are? We're making it like there's an assumption that's being made that is it's going to be anti-gay. And we don't know that yet. Now, it, it could be. Absolutely. But we don't know it yet. Number one. Number two, and this is my biggest point with this. If we're so at home with getting angry right now, you, we're just like, and especially on the left, we just want to get mad about something. If, if everyone who thinks, and again, you're right, you have a right to your opinion. If you think that this parade is just a thinly veiled anti-gay march through Boston. Shut up. Just shut up. It the more the more have have, have you I'll ask you because you heard you heard the march coming, right? I did. I did. Okay. So so John Hugo is one of the organizers. Have have we seen like any posters, articles, um, collection plates uh, GoFundMe's, anything circling online from John Hugo? I personally have not. Have you seen celebrities, other leftists, um, all getting out there and being anti the march? Oh, yeah. That, is, that you, you have by the buckets. You are giving this thing. The guys who organized this could not pay for the publicity that the people that are against it are giving it. True. It's insane. Like, just shut up. Just shut up about it. If you're against it, fine. And honestly, when the march, when the parade, whatever it's going to be called, if you want to go there, you want to peacefully demonstrate, fine. Do that. But the more you get out there and talk about it, they, they're probably they're probably laughing in their offices saying, Jesus Christ, we haven't had to do a thing. We just said we want the same rights as, as the Gay Pride March. So we're going to have a march. And that's all they did. And all this, and even like guys like Chris Evans, who thinks that he's like, you know, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, put my two cents in. And then in his tweet, and I'm paraphrasing, but he pokes fun at, well, there are people who are probably in the closet anyway, and they're hiding their latent homosexuality. I'm like, dude, do you realize that his statement in and of itself is homophobic? Yeah. He's he's actually taking being gay 
as a pejorative. And, and yeah, and like, all right, I'm going to insult you because you're probably gay anyway. So stop. You're doing more harm than good. I, to me, I just think if, if the guys who were anti this march said nothing and there was no tweets, either the march would fail or you'd have like 15 guys carrying bottles of Bud, like walking down the street one day, and that would be the straight pride march. Well, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head in several ways, and it was definitely one element of your story that was very apropos. And in that your friend pulled you aside and asked you what the deal was. I think, especially in this day and age, you have a lot of folks, especially when you're talking politics, especially you're talking about uh, socio-political uh, uh, subjects. One of the phrases you hear a lot is, well, that guy thinks, or I know this is what he's thinking. Everyone's making assumptions. Everyone it, tries to crawl in other people's heads. You know, for all we know, at this very moment, for all we know, these three dudes just like parades. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're just really pro-parade. Yeah, they, they just really like marching down the street and seeing people out of We don't know. Like, like as at least to my knowledge, no one has, like, sat down with these guys and actually talked to them and, and gotten to know them and, and see what this whole thing is about. Everyone, like you said, Ken, Everyone immediately jumped in the bandwagon and immediately started pouring the vitriol. And it, the, the, the anti-publicity, if you will, is just freaking ridiculous. And, and you don't know anything about these guys other than they said, well, we, can, can we have a straight pride march? Uh, you know, now, do you expect some degree of that for, from, a, from a question like that? Sure. Sure, there are always going to be there. There are always going to be those types that are, are very sensitive to those kind of statements. But in reality, once once the sensitivities die down for a bit, you got to ask the question: like, okay, what's this about? Like, are are, are you anti-gay? Are you uh, are you anti? You know, are you anti-me? If I'm a gay man, can I march in a straight pride parade? Because, you know, granted. In the gay pride parade, I'm willing to bet my bottom dollar. You have a fair amount of straight people mm-hmm. who are walking, you know, side by side with their friends, brothers, sisters, you know, whoever, to, to support them. If I, I'm willing, you know, I'm not going to bet that. All I'm going to say is if you talk to these three guys, let's just say for a gay coalition decides, can we march in the straight pride parade? Yeah, if you want then then, yeah. then then what do you do? Then, then, then how then how do you box these guys up as well? These guys are just rampant homophobic assholes. You you don't until you actually get to the bottom of it. Right, and apparently there, there's there's rumors that they have a, a prominent homosexual speaker that that's going to be uh, addressing the crowd that day, and and you know who knows what it's going to be. Um, but the the intriguing thing is, if I got wind of the fact that there was going to be a straight pride march. I'd probably chuckle and just be like, really? But it became a story because of everyone who's anti. Sure. So if you, if you don't want it, like, stop talking about it. And I guarantee you, everyone who's anti is, and, and is stating that they're anti, every, every statement you make, every tweet you make, every breath you take, uh, <laughs> that somewhat like every anti-March tweet that you put out, there's probably some straight dude that's like, you know what? I am going to march. 
Like, just stop. Just stop. Like, it would probably just go away. And, and again, you couldn't, you couldn't pay for the publicity. And the thing that's intriguing is, look, I don't get, I don't know what their motivation is. And I, and I would like to hear what it is. And, and sure. there is a part of me that's like, this is silliness. We don't need it. And then this part of me is like, whatever, you guys need to do this. You need to do this. I, you know, I get it as, you know, as a gay man, if, if you, if you've had a rough life with, with being gay and coming out of the closet, and I get where that would like kind of stick in your craw. Um, I also get on the other side that like there are gay men, gay women that have had great lives. And there are straight people that have had really terrible, shitty lives. I mean, it's not, you, you don't get to draw that kind of, you know, oh, you've had a rough life, you're in this group, and you had an easy life, you're in this group. I mean, it's, we're all humans. We all have, like, different sides to us aside from, like, where our sexual orientation lies or where, um, you know, what our race is or who we happen to be. Like, we're, we're all human beings. Like, you know, there, there, are, there are white, straight people that are poor and destitute, and there are, you know, minority gay people that are like rich and wealthy. I mean, it, it, it's, it's all over. I mean, it, and, but I get it. If you, if you've had a rough life and, and you're like, you know, and you've reached a point in your life where you're comfortable and you march in the gay pride parade. And it's like, I, I'm so happy. I can finally, you know, be out in public. I can finally marry my partner and we have fought for these rights and they kind of sticks in your craw a bit. Like, wait, what the fuck? Like now that like straight people think they need to march. Um, I, I, I get that. But where we're at right now as society, and this is where I, I think we need to like open up our minds and, and be a little bit more like Wesley and just kind of talk to each other because we, we've entered into this really dangerous realm of tribalism in our country where, you know, we're, we just want our tribe to be right. And the, the, the tribe, if you're not with my tribe, then you're in the wrong. And, and that's all we are right now. We're, we're all just like excessive tribalism and i get it like as, as a 47 year old straight dude and, you know, and i gave him my college experience and it was tough then i've moved past it you know um there were some dicey years there that was like you know a lot of confusion because again as an 18 year old just confused but i'm good and i get it and i get um you know that I, i've moved past that but think about in terms and then when you know the people and we talked about last week but when you throw around terms like toxic masculinity when you have the successive tribalism, when you have like when a march like this comes out and you're like so, you know, because the, the anti-speech and the anti-tweets come off as anti-straight. Sure. Um, and I, I can handle all that. But just think about the adolescent straight guys or even straight women now in this country and, and how they're trying to, because again, just because you're straight and you're a teenager, does not mean you have all your shit together and you know what the hell is up. No. You know, you're, especially like when you're a goddamn like a junior high school, it's like you're, the, I mean, junior high school boys are like the scariest creatures on the planet. <laughs> it's like, and I can only attest to like being a straight, but like we're, we're all like fucking ugly as sin and we're, we're packed to the gills with hormones that we have no idea what the hell to do with. Sure. Like that, that is you. As, as, a, as a seventh grade, at least for me, as a straight seventh, eighth grade boy, that's what you are. Just this oh, horny, yeah. like, just, oh, <laughs> you know, you don't know what the fuck to do with the hormones. It's like, you know, the, the whole, like, was it Eddie Murphy that did the routine where it's like, you just have, like, Woody's pop up out of nowhere. It's like, where did that come from? Can you come up to the board and do this this uh, program? No. no. I'll, I'll take the zero, teacher. Thank you. Um so I, I do think that it's got to be tough right now 
you know, when if you're a straight guy and you're a teenager and it's like there's there's all this negativity like thrown in your direction, um, that you're gonna misinterpret a lot of that. That you can't like, you know, the, the dude that wrote the blog, like it had this always, hey, well, this is what toxic masculinity means. It's like as a teenage guy, you're not getting that. You're just hearing that people are saying like men are toxic. And I, I'm taught like and, and that's that's where you know, men are, and I'm not saying it's any easier or harder growing up than if you happen to be a gay teenager or transgender teenager. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that, you know, when we get into this tribalism and, and we're moving in that direction, well, you want to belong to a tribe. If, if that's where we're at as, as a society, it's like, well, what tribe am I a part of? And, and if I can't be part of this tribe because they're saying I'm bad and I can't be part of this tribe because they're saying I'm toxic and they're saying, well, then I, I have to kind of circle the wagons and become part of my own uh, own tribe. And, and that's where we've, we've like, you know, to me, like, this is where shit like this starts to be born from. Because the truest sense of being liberal and being accepting, we're not there now. As far as liberals, like, we've, we've moved into the direction of being a liberal is trying to control your thoughts. If, if you're not thinking the way I'm thinking, then you are wrong. And I have to fix that. If you don't agree with me wholeheartedly, then I have to fix that. And it, scary. It's very, it, scary. It's very scary. And I, I want to ask you this, so because I know you lean right, and this is where, you know, and Kyle Kyle Kalinsky, who's a um, he's a political correspondent, he's an activist, he's got his own podcast, um, you know, and I listened to some of his his stuff this week. Um, interesting guy. He considers himself a libertarian left or left populist. Okay. Um, but. What's intriguing to me, and, and this is where like the left has gotten right now, and um, which is scary to me because I think if, if you don't support him, and I don't, I'm not a Trump fan, I don't like him. I work with people with disabilities. He made fun of someone with a disability from the podium. He's a fucking asshole. I, I just, I do not want him as my president. Okay, Fair. putting that out there. But when I look at us right now, and, and you lean right, okay, True. so but you're kind of on the moderate side of things. You're not far, right? I consider myself libertarian. Okay. So if if you are – if there's a stance, a a, a platform, okay, that they believed in a living wage to kind of look at our economics and say minimum wage you can't live on. So look at our our economy and say we're going to at least look at a living wage. Is it something at least you'd be intrigued on? Hey, let me hear what they have to say. No, I listen to it. Okay. So, so it's something that, like, as a moderate, it's like, let's see what you what you're thinking. Let's let me. I'm willing to listen to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, any more? Getting out of places we don't need to be. Saving soldiers' lives. At this point, I think it's 17 percent of the population thinks we should still be in Afghanistan. So, as a moderate, if we can, could you at least listen to that person? Yeah, I I can listen to a hell of a lot. Okay. Wait. I'm, okay. No, okay. But you're saying, like, so as a moderate, it's like, all right, well, I'll, I'm willing to hear what your thought is on, on ending wars. Sure. Okay. Um, intelligent advocacy for women's issues. Sure. Yeah. You know, there, there's issues, like, I want to hear advocacy, so you're, you'd be willing to listen to something like that. Rights for people with disabilities. Uh, absolutely. Okay. So these are things that, like, if, if you had a platform right now that, that stood for those things, that... I'm not saying you're going to vote for him necessarily, mm-hmm. but I'm saying you're absolutely willing to listen to that candidate. Sure. Okay. That's what the left should be right now. That's what the left should be saying. 
But the, and I think, and I do think right now, it's it's more or less, it's a very vocal minority. But it's scary because the vocal minority on the left is essentially issuing like Trump's going to get reelected. I, He's going to get reelected. It, it, it's, it's looking that way. Right now, the left is. If you're not using the right pronoun, I hate you. <laughs> okay, so we need to control the way people think. We need to control how pronouns are being used. And we talked about it last week, man. Yeah. If I have a friend and they, they tell me, hey, when you refer to me, can you say this? Fine. You don't get to legislate the way I think. You don't get to oh, legislate yeah. like everyone needs to use the same pronouns. Me Too movements become a glorified witch hunt. Sure. The scary thing, I read an article. There was a group of women that wanted to equate an unwanted glance with sexual assault. Whoa. An unwanted, so if you see someone in the produce section, you think it's attractive and kind of look at them, and that female does not want them looking at you, they want to equate that with sexual assault. Wow. That's insane. That's what he said. Stormy Daniels. Keep bringing Stormy Daniels back. (laughs) And above all else, let's get rid of baby. It's cold outside. Oh, we're gonna get that, 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 I'm not going to get that. But again, when you look at this, that's what that's what the left is right now. If you're a moderate, and again, think of the right. The right, the platform that you hear often, um, immigration control. Okay? I know that a lot of people who, that are on the right, it's thinly veiled racism. I get that. But when the platform is immigration control, as a moderate, Okay, I can listen to that. You know, uh, we want the economy to be strong again. I can agree with that. We want our military to be strong. I'm willing to listen to that. So when, when you look at both sides right now, if you're, if you're a moderate, the right just makes more sense. The left is actually giving us a role. Like if you're on the highway and you're driving on that left highway, you should, that, that exit for the right is like the, the best rest stop. It's like, <laughs> shit, man. Like, oh, okay. Like, you know, it's, you know, I, I like listening to baby. It's cold outside. And, you know, I, I just, I use the pronouns that grammar told me to, but like, I look over at the right. It's like, oh, strong economy, strong military, immigration control. Well, that's something I can kind of like, get, oh, I'm getting off the edge. They're literally just handing up, like they're, they're telling people, the left thinks they're doing a good job by like advocating for certain things. They're doing a shit job the way they're advocating, and they're just pushing people over to the right. Well, I, if I had to, if I had to put a, a reason or, or a conclusion to to modern day left right politics, I simply think that let's let's face facts. Nobody, and I'm and. I'm fairly confident in saying neither left nor right. Nobody ex- actually expected Donald Trump. No, no. No, no. No, one, no one thought, you know, no matter, I don't care who is the big prognosticator, who wants to play Karnak now. Oh, yeah, I saw I got to play this. No way did. Trump thinks it's Trump. Yeah. Trump did, though. Fair. Fair. <laughs> I don't think half of, half of him did. But that being said, I think it knocked the left for such a loop that they have, they are literally scrambling to figure out how the hell can we write this ship? And unfortunately, at least for the time being, the the, the prominent idea in leftism is to just run far, run as far left as you can go. Because you know, as I said, I, I'm a libertarian. I am certainly willing to listen 
if someone has a good idea, I really don't care what fucking labels be on it. Is it a, right, exactly. Is, is it a democratic idea? Is it a republican idea? Is it a left idea? Is it a, I don't, is it a good idea? That's the point. But, you know, when you're only willing to label, you know, when you have to hear the label first before you acknowledge the idea, well then, okay, well, now you're being screwy. And then when you, when you say off-the-wall stuff, like we are, you know, to what you said, we are trying to legislate things that you say. Like, the, does anyone, does anyone out there think that's a good idea? Does, you know, the, the, okay, idea on the table, not left or right or anything. We're going to make a law to tell you what to say. Right. Does that sound like a good idea? What are you? It doesn't matter who put it forth. Or does it matter if a Republican put it forth, or a Democrat put it forth, or a leftist, or a rightist, or a freaking whovilleist? No, it's a bad idea. Get it out of here. But for some reason, you know, again, the the left is just we're going to run that way, and we're going to run that way hard, and this is the way we're going to right the ship. I don't think that strategy is working. And honestly, I, I know I rip on them, but I'm going to talk about. I think it's a generational thing. I think I think the whole I look. And that happens. And, you know, my, my dad was like a hippy-dippy left Democrat, and as he's gotten older, he's more of a Republican. I mean, I get that that happens. That hasn't happened to me yet, probably because of the field I work in. And honestly, like, we're, and, and I get that, like, in politics, like, disability issues are very important to me for what I do for a living. I get it that for some people it's not as important. Sure. And in all honesty, we live in a Democratic state. They've cut funding. They won't give a, a cost of living increase to workers in our field. The federal government has cut funding to us as well. So, Republicans and Democrats, I get it. And for the most part, I kind of stand by, I don't think any of them give a shit about us. So when you're voting, especially for president, you're kind of voting for the lesser of two evils. But I think generally, and I think you bring up a really good point, that we've got, with, with Trump kind of throwing everyone for a loop, the millennials are, are the generation that are used to getting their own way. And this was the ultimate, like, fuck you. Like, you didn't get, like, you got to vote. And number one, you didn't get Bernie. Yeah. And then number two, we stuck you with Trump. And that was the ultimate, like, slap in the face. Like, wait a second. In real life, we don't always get what we want. What's it got there? It's so bad. It's so working. But we got participation trophy. No, it's so bad. That's where we're at as, 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 a, as a society where I'm just like, I've always considered myself liberal, and now like I don't know, like I can't look at like liberals and say that that's my group, that's not my tribe. I don't know, which is why I I headed down this rabbit hole because I think with like, and maybe I'm guilty of tribalism as well, but I've been desperate to find my tribe because <laughs> I've, I've considered myself left and liberal for for a long time. One of my favorite moments in my life. And I was, um, Michelle, our producer, said, do that impression again. I don't know what impression she's talking about, so comment on the thread what impression. <laughs> but there was a moment in my life, and Michelle will remember it, that we, we, you know, you've been to our big summer barbecue. Sure. Okay, and we have a ton of people. It's, it's a pretty large-scale barbecue. And there was one barbecue in particular that I remember looking out on the lawn and seeing that there was, like, a kid that, I mean, maybe six months old, the oldest person there was in their 70s. There was white, black, Puerto Rican, uh, straight, gay, like everything. And I, and I looked across our lawn and I was just like, 
That's pretty fucking cool. That's pretty cool. And, and even thinking generationally, you know, I don't know how accepting my parents would necessarily be with the generation they grew up with, but them hanging out with some of my gay friends and talking and getting along and having fun and just meeting people as people. Like, it was just, it, it just was really cool. And I wasn't looking to make a sociological statement. I wasn't looking to do anything. And I didn't think this beforehand when I thought about my group of friends. But it just was so in my face right now. It was a moment that I'm like, that's really cool. Yeah. And I, I just consider myself liberal for a really, really long time. And um, now I just, I, that, that can't be the group that I'm part of. I just can't be part of that group. And it just had me down like, you know, I, I've been inspired by Joe Rogan. And I think that's important. Um, you know, find inspirations, especially when you get older. And, and I'm jazzed doing the show again, which is great. And, you know, Dave left the show, but Dave left the show because he was watching Bruce Pritchard and he got inspired by Pritchard and he's kicking out in two. It inspired him to do more. Th- and I think that's great, too. Like, whatever floats your boat, you know, go, follow it, do the direction, you know. I mean, I think it's it's really cool. But, you know, there's shit where, like, you know, I got down, I went down this rabbit hole where I was just like, ooh, something else interesting. And, and holy shit, and like, oh, my God. And like, wow, there are people that actually are thinking like me. Like, I'm not the – I don't know what we call us. Um, but there is kind of a tribe out there where we're all, like, kind of – agreeing on, on things, but even like stuff with like Heather Hang, and I, I think I'm pronouncing her name right, but at Portland University, 2018, she did this lecture, and she just started off the lecture by saying, well, men and women are different. They're a biological difference. Right, right. and, and like, I, like they were millennial, like, and it, the funniest thing is they're like the typical, like the, the worst, you know, the, the green haired, like if you were going to, if you're going to draw like a stereotypical millennial uh, college <laughs> student, it was literally just like these wavy, like, oh my God, and they're like, I'm not going to be a part of this. And it's like, she's a biologist. Like, how do you, how do you get to a point where you've decided, you know, science, science doesn't count. Science does not count anymore. And they, they tipped over the sound system on the way out. Yeah. They yelled, they called her a fascist and a Nazi, a Nazi. And that's another thing, man. Uh, and we'll, we can get into that at that some point, right. but like Nazi, man, like 6 million Jews, 6 million Jews murdered in the Holocaust. Shut the Fuck up throwing around Nazi every time someone disagrees with you. That is irresponsible. It's rude and it's it's a lack of thinking. Like you want to call me an asshole, call me an asshole. Don't throw around that Nazi shit just because someone says like, oh, men and women are different. That's some bullshit. Absolutely. And I think that the funny thing was I think the comment that she was making when those protesters walked out was uh, between men and women. Men are generally taller. Is anyone is anyone offended by that fact? And that's at, it was at that point that those protesters walked out. And, and to the folks that love to like throw around that you're, you're a Nazi, you're a Nazi. You know what, motherfucker? If you actually saw a Nazi, you would probably shit yourself. I, I, I can I can probably be proud to know that like people like me, i.e. Marines, were able to kill fucking Nazis. And trust me. Just because someone says no to you does not make them a Nazi. You're being a real big asshole to a large chunk of people. Not just whoever you're, whoever's saying no to you, but all the people who, who lost their lives. Not only the Jewish people who were lost in the Holocaust, but think of every soldier from every freaking, every country that was part of the Allies that had to come in and liberate. You, you're just pissing all over their graves. And when people, when people do shit like that, it supremely pisses me the fuck off. 
Because it's so irresponsible. It's, it's, it's irresponsible and it's lazy. It, it's, I'm not going to... Look, again, she's a fucking biologist. Um, but if you, if you have a coherent point to that, if there's something you want to bring... Look, I mean, if you don't understand that men and women are different, and, and again, I, I'm going to accept you if you're transgender, I'm going to accept you if you're gay, I'm going to accept you if you're every other initial word, pronoun, whatever you're going to decide, cool. You be you. I don't got, I really don't have enough time to just hate people. I, I, I got more important things to do than you be you. I, and I don't get on the other side where like extreme right. I don't get that either because I, I don't think like why hate someone for just being who they are. I mean, I yeah. think that's, that's silly. But if you're going to give me a, a clear, coherent, rational thought on why, and again, I, I'd love to hear it, but why men and women aren't different, um. Okay. Uh, you, you know, I but I'd like to hear. It. But you, 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 you don't have a point. You didn't think it through. You just threw a temper tantrum and decided I'm going to call someone a Nazi. Like that's that's your rationale. No, if you're against it, it, fine. If you're against what Heather Haynes said, fine. Let me hear like a clear, coherent thought. Not a temper. I mean, it was amazing. Men are. are are on average taller than most women. Oh, I'm out of here. I can't hear such rhetoric. Next thing you're going to know, you're going to tell me that women can have babies and men can't. God, it's an outrage. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, oh, oh my head hurts now. It's just, yeah, yeah, it yeah. gets to a point where, like, you know, I'm, I'm so happy right now that I'm finding my group. And, and it's just interesting, and, and someone brought this up on, on our Facebook page, and I'm forgetting at this point who, but someone wanted to bring up intergender wrestling, and I think that's an interesting topic. And it is. And as, as you know, men and women are different. Yeah. Hate to break it to you, but men and women are different. Spend some time and with one. somewhere a millennial cried. <laughs> um, but I, like, I thought this was a great point, and it kind of was like one of those things that kind of marries like the old show and the new show, and kind of, because I don't, like... A lot of these things, there's no right answer. And when it comes to intergender wrestling, which is intriguing, and again, I do think a lot of this falls on leftist politicking arguing with themselves. Because on one hand with intergender wrestling, there are more male wrestlers than female wrestlers. Sure. Correct? Absolutely. I don't... No millennials throwing eggs at the house. So... Um, so an intergender match will provide more opportunities for females to get on shows. Sure. Okay. There are a lot of shows that, you know, even, even producer Michelle, like we've gone through like shows where it's like, you know, can you ballet? Cause there's not another woman, you know, on the show. Okay. So intergender wrestling kind of gives us that, that, that uh, opportunity where you can allow a woman to wrestle a guy and give women uh, more opportunities. Um, Maria Manning, she's always, and she's fucking hardcore, but yeah. she's always out there wrestling guys. Um, yeah, I'd love to get Jordan, her on the show yeah. at some point. Jordan, Jordan Grace. Grace, another one. Now, here's the, the caveat, though. But you are watching and a man beat on a woman. Yeah. Okay. Now, what's intriguing about, like, that was, you know, when Mae Young got put through a table, way back when by the Dudleys. This was not an issue. True. Okay? Now, as wrestling has kind of pulled the curtain back, and you know it's scripted, and they've, they've put it out there, now this has become more of an issue? Now when you know, like, look, if you Fair saw point. back in the day, 
and I don't think he did it anymore, but if, if, if Dr. D. David Schultz slapped Wendy Richter at some point, that would be, you would really believe. You'd, you'd have people trying to kill him in the parking lot. When Macho Man would use Elizabeth as a shield, it was like, that son of a bitch. Because we believed it to be real. Sure. You pulled the curtain back. And now you're going to have a problem when it's, and there have been shows that have been, have, have gotten in trouble because there was a match book between a man and a woman. There was a show, it was somewhere in New York, where they wouldn't allow them to have the man versus woman match. I remember that. I remember that. And as a promoter, if I was promoting a show, I don't know what I would do. I'd like to be equal and provide opportunities, but at the same time, most of these wrestling promoters, they need the money. They need the gate, and they don't need the controversy. Sure. Um, you know, unless the woman's coming in and she sold 50 tickets, maybe I don't book her because none of this shit happens in a vacuum. And I could sit here and believe in women's rights and believe that I want to give women opportunities, but at the same time, I'm not going to go bankrupt. Because I'm going to give an opportunity. So there's that like that give and take sometimes yeah. in life, in real life, millennials. So it's like, where do you go? And I don't think there's a right answer. It's just, it's an interesting issue. And especially with, with gender politics going on nowadays and identities and, and, you know, who you are and what you're doing and opportunities and where women's wrestling is evolved to now Um in the WWE and other promotions, and there are more women coming up and being like real wrestlers, not eye candy anymore, not divas, not valets, but actual wrestlers. What do you do? What's the, what's the right answer? There, there is no right answer. Um, and the, the funny thing is, I, I have I have a hot take on this issue that will probably it might earn me some odds, and it might not, because as far as uh, as far as intergender wrestling concerned, me personally. I am not a big fan. I can't say, and again, I, I'm a big fan. You, you, you brought up Maria Manning, you brought up Jordan Grace. Uh, bo- uh, both of those ladies, phenomenal wrestlers and have worked with men before, but as far as me personally, like, I don't feel comfortable doing it. And I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, promotions out there shouldn't do it or, you know, they shouldn't, they shouldn't have intergender matches. Just me as a person, Simply because of the way I was brought up, as far as like hitting women. If if you remember, Ken, I was once I was once booked in an intergender match. It was it was a match between myself and Aaron Winter, the irascible Aaron Winter. <laughs> and I remember they booked me on this match. And as far as like especially character wise, I'm like I cannot see character wise. Throw out the character wise, me wise. I'm like. I can't see myself hitting a girl. I, I, I'm not. I'm not about it. And now look for again for other folks that could work for them. And I'm not disparaging them at all. I'm not down at all. Fine. Just for me personally, I couldn't do it. So we we literally worked the match. I I did not throw a punch. I there was I wasn't going to strike. I was not. I could not. And you know there are those folks out there. And but the funny thing is especially with all the, the, the positions and stances we've discussed uh, earlier in this show, even though I've, I've explained myself, there are still some people out there that will probably, if they listen to this show, they say, well, screw that Rocky guy. He freaking, he disparages women and he thinks women can't. No, that's not my position at all. 
because you know you know very well there are some freaking people out there that will love to shove words in your mouth, right. and, and they will simply say, well, that that rock guy, he doesn't believe in women, he doesn't believe in women's rights, he doesn't think women should wrestle, and that's not what I'm saying at all, at all. Well, and that's just it. It's not a right answer. And no. uh, producer Michelle put up there, there was the classic all-star Michelle D versus Weasel, which that, <laughs> that match made sense because we know Michelle could kick Weasel's ass. That's very true. <laughs> very true. But, but you're right. And in today's day and age, you, know, you don't know how, you don't know how a crowd's going to take it. True. And again, like, I'm, not, I'm not about taking opportunities away from women, but you could get, go to a crowd and have an ultra, super liberal crowd that doesn't really know a lot about pro wrestling and sees a guy body slam a woman and is outraged because they're glorifying violence towards women. Yeah. And then it's, it's now it's a thing. So, I mean, it is, again, I don't think there's a right answer for it. Um, but, and, and I, I'm not a big fan of it either because I don't think, I don't think it really helps anybody. Um, I, storytelling wise. And again, getting back to, there are differences between men and women. Men have had, uh, more muscle mass than, than women, like yeah, on average, on average, like when, um, you know, if you're trying to uh, make a male wrestler uh, a strong character and you're trying to book them strong, um, you know, it's not going to help them to lose to a female. Like, and and how are, and it's not even if he wins. Like, if if you if you hit said woman and she gets up after it, like that's wow. Like you, it it like there's so many dynamics to that that just don't work. Well, that's true, but and there and there are always exceptions to that rule. Uh, be, yeah, but, Michelle D versus Weasel. Michelle D. Versus <laughs> Weasel. But even if you look at it on the professional circuit, like China. Oh and, yeah, yeah. You know, you look at China, and I don't care if you're a dude, woman, dude, man, you know, beast, whatever. If you smack her, she's probably gonna look. You know, she would have turned to you, gave you a freaking mean mug, and probably started kicking the shit out of you. So, but the the whole thing is though they are exceptions, not the rule. And you're gonna ha- you're gonna need an exceptional athlete. Like currently, I, I, and I bring her up, Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace, she is a beast in the freaking gym. I I, I she posts her workouts. She posts the, some of the stuff she does. I'm like, yep. If she throw a punch, I wouldn't be happy next morning. I'm I'm guarantee it. But you 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 have to have those types of situations. And again, it's all about what you believe in and, and, and what you, you know, what you feel. I, I personally wouldn't want to be booking an intergender match because I really am not comfortable hitting women. That's not because I think women are weak. That's not because I think they can't take it. It's simply the way I was brought up. Right. I'm sorry, folks. Yeah, I a hundred percent get that. We're going to have, we have a phone call actually. All right. On the line. So let's bring the caller up. Uh, let's see. Caller, are you there? Hi, Ken. Hey, Justin. I miss you, pal. Miss you, too. It's been a while. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Ken. Glad to hear you. So, did you watch Super Showdown? Uh, 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 not really. (laughs) So, what do you want to talk about then, dude? Um, how was, how WrestleMania? 35. It was good. Going back a few months, but yeah, it was it was good. It was a good time. Did you watch it? I I, I did. Okay, good. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. Ken? Okay then. So what? What was your favorite part? 
my favorite part when um, Becky Lynch won the 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 world. Wait, she won the the uh, women's championship on on SmackDown and Raw. Sergeant, you're a big Becky Lynch fan. Yeah, I am a Becky Lynch fan. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. So what's new, Ken? I love when you call Justin. It's like it's just have like casual conversation in the middle of the show. I'm not nothing new here. Doing how's things with you? I'm good. Good, glad to hear it. Are you gonna be watching are you gonna watch Super Showdown at some point? Uh I I will. Alright, well you know what? Thanks for the phone call. And we're gonna you talk know, I'll Ken. put you on hold so you can listen and we're gonna talk some more about Super Showdown now, right? Alright, Ken. Do this thing, all right, dude, man. thanks for calling. Call us keep calling, all right? It's good to hear from you. I love you, Ken. Love you too, man. You have a good night, all right? All right. Take it easy, brother. Take it easy, Ken. That's <laughs> Justin. Justin's awesome. He hasn't called in a while, but uh well, it's good to hear from him. I would love to see Justin call about like the politics and stuff to get his take on that. Now that would be interesting. But um yeah, I mean you know, it's a good transition. I mean, we're talking intergender wrestling. Um, I find it interesting with the WWE. And, and, and again, something else I don't think is the right answer. And the internet wrestling community loves to, like, vilify and whatever. And, you know, should should the WWE going, be going to Saudi Arabia? Should they not be? Are they pioneers that they're, they're kind of helping to open doors there? Or is this just a cash grab and Saudi Arabia has paid enough for the WWE? So they just got – I don't know. And I also like, look, you know, when you watch the show, you look at the fans. The fans aren't involved in the politics. Um, if the WWE doesn't go to Saudi Arabia, who are you hurting? The, the fans, you know, the fans that are living there. Yeah. Um, you know, if the WWE made a statement and said we're not going back because of their politics, we're not going back there because they won't let our ladies wrestle, um, and they took that stand, I'm okay with that. Uh, if they took the stance where – we're going back because, albeit we don't agree with the politics, we have fans there, and our show is about the fans, and we're there to entertain them. Kind of agree with that too. So it, it, there's no right answer, um, but it is intriguing with um, going there, not allowing women. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on like the politicking involved. Uh, obviously, they're being offered a lot of money. Um, Goldberg, I thought it was interesting, WWE side, Goldberg, who has stated time and time again how important his faith is uh, to go to an Arab country. I'm sure they had dump trucks full of cash, but, you know, you know, how much cash, how much cash would we give you to, let's, uh, you know what, here's something for you. Oh, boy. Okay, so you're, you're, you're a Marine. Yes. Okay, it's important to you. Very. Very important to you. So we're, we're drawing a parallel between Goldberg's religion how many millions of dollars for you to get up in front of the crowd in Saudi Arabia and denounce Oof. the Marines? It takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, I like. I, I think back, and I think back. You're, you're my inspiration, Sergeant Slaughter. I think back. Yeah. You know, when, you, when you pulled the whole Iraqi sympathizer angle, I was a kid, and goddamn it, I hated you. I hated you so much for that. But, uh, you know, to, to your point, yeah, I think I have a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, that was the one – I haven't heard it talked about anywhere that I was surprised. Because Goldberg, years ago, was inducted into – I didn't know there was one, but there's like a Jewish-American Hall of Fame. Okay. And he was inducted, and he 
Uh, he, he actually stated this before the WWE Hall of Fame. He said that, that that was more important to him than ever going into the WWE Hall of Fame. So he's, he is uh, a number of times put out there that his faith is very important to him. Um, but there was enough cash to go to, to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so um, it, it's interesting, like, and especially he's already a millionaire. Uh, he's, he's got more money than any of us will probably ever hope to have. Um, just found it interesting, like, how much money would it take to kind of, you know, especially if you're all, already kind of well off, like, how much money would it take for you to be like, all right, like, they've been bad to Jews for a long time, but well, that, that's the cash. That, that, that's one angle you could look at it. Another angle you could look at it is a bunch of rappers gave a whole lot of money to just one Jew. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk about that match. I think that that match has been like the uh, the scuttlebutt, Probably. if you will. That was the um, run. A few things with that match. Number one, um, apparently there was a shouting match backstage after the match. Uh, Taker was not happy with with Taker needs to get over himself. With all due respect, you know neither one of them are in their prime anymore, and. What I found interesting about this match is, first of all, now again, Saudi Arabia, the prince could have been, I, I pay you this amount of money, and I went, what, what accident am I doing? But anyway, and I want Goldberg versus Taker. So it could have been what happened. Like, this is what I want. Like, oh, okay. You know, here's a gazillion dollars. Like, we'll do it. I don't think there's anybody who thought this match was going to be any good. Probably not. Um, the against it. I was hoping it wouldn't be the main event, so we'd have like a kind of quick spot thing. Um, the match didn't start off horrible. Um, and I, and I, had, I saw it after it aired live and saw like all the stuff and how bad it was. And I was watching, I'm like, it's not that bad. Why are people getting all bent out of shape? And then the second half of the match happened. I was like, yeah, it is that bad. It's <laughs> that bad. And not only is it that bad, it's dangerous. And there's a few things, and I'm curious here as, as someone who, number one, Father Time's undefeated. And both these guys are getting up there. Yeah. Um, I think both these guys, and I want to, again, I want to get your take on the whole match, but uh, I think both these guys are in a place that either they should retire or they need to be in the ring with someone who, again, with no disrespect, with someone who can carry them. And yeah. neither one of these guys are in a position right now to carry the other one if the match. And I think you saw that when Goldberg stated that he knocked himself out, that the Undertaker is not the Undertaker of old that could carry him through this. Um, there were a lot of moments, too many moments for my liking, where someone could have been in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. And I, I mean, personally, I think they both should hang it out. Um, Undertaker did an interview in the early 2000, I believe it was 2002, where he said, you know, he'll know when to hang it up. And he doesn't want to be that guy that's hanging on too long. He's hanging on too long. Um, and everything I say about him is with all due respect. He's an all-time guy. He is a legend. And, I, and it's, and it's tough, as a fan, like, personally, it's tough for me to say these things. But it, it's time. And it's scary. And in all honesty, with the two of them, I think Taker should hang it up before Goldberg. Because, I mean, first, I think they, it's time for both of them. Mm. But Goldberg is still in good enough shape. Look at his program with, with Brock Lesnar. True. 
It was a good program. And Brock could carry Goldberg in that match at WrestleMania. And Goldberg can still do those quick Goldberg-type matches. Yes. Goldberg was never an in-ring technician. No. Never gave you a classic. Was never going to go for a half hour like and have ebbs and flows. Like Goldberg was an ass kicker. That was his thing. Personally, I think Goldberg can still do that on some levels. True. Taker gave us classics. Yeah. Taker gave us memories. Taker gave us 20-minute, half-hour matches that left you emotionally exhausted. Taker can't do that anymore. And that's the Undertaker that we all remember. Yeah. And he can't do that anymore. And to me, I, I... We've seen the Anderson a million times. It's still cool when you're there live. Um, unless you're going to have Taker come out and, like, interfere in certain things or just do, like, I, I, quick matches. It's just, I, to me, it, it's sad. It, it really is sad. It saddens me seeing him in the ring. He's, like, limping to the finish line. He's a shell of what he once was. Um, and for both these guys, if you're going to have a match, they need someone in there that can carry him if, if need be. And I, and I just... It wound up going from like, and this match isn't too bad, to holy shit, this is dangerous. Yeah. To this is sad. This is really kind of sad. It's two guys that are just can't really do it anymore. And I don't, again, with all due respect, I don't think it was Taker's place to necessarily yell at Goldberg for it. Like they both just can't do it. And I'm curious your, your thoughts. And again, I feel like I'm being so disrespectful. And I don't mean it to be. But I just think it, it's really, especially Undertaker, it's it's time to just hang it up. Well, if memory serves me correctly, this has happened to Goldberg before. But the last time this happened, this was uh, the match between Goldberg and DDP, if I remember correctly. And Goldberg, I believe, missed a spear, smacked his head on the turnbuckle, and bit, and didn't remember the rest of the match. But the the, the point being that you know, he was a lot younger, a lot stronger. DDP, again, he's a lot younger, could, you know, and had the wherewithal to know, okay, we need to cut this quick because this guy's out on his feet. Whereas in, in this particular case, after Goldberg freaking plopped his head, I, th- I don't think it was an easy stretch to realize, okay, this dude's out on his feet. He's in La La Land. Oh, yeah, and it's funny, I didn't realize that he knocked himself out. I thought he was gassed. I thought he was blown up. Um, I, I, I could tell something was wrong. It just didn't dawn on me that he had knocked himself out. But when he, when he went for the jackhammer, yeah, when he initially, came- even when he went for it, I'm like, I, like, I was watching with, with Michelle, and I said, I, I don't think he can get it up. I, I don't think he can get it up. Yeah, I'm being a toxic man. Um, I just didn't think he, I don't know if he can hit this. And this is a guy who, like, hit it on Big Show. Well, yeah. But it was just kind of, and then getting it over was just rough, and it, it just, it, it was scary. But, but remember, again, talking to, as you said, talking about his program with Brock, he hit it on Brock, and he hit it solidly. It wasn't a, it wasn't a big struggle. So what, when he came down, you know, thank God he didn't come, he almost came down on Undertaker's head. You know, when Undertaker sat up, he should have realized, all right, this dude's done. Yeah. Because he, he fell over, and, you know, Goldberg fell over, and he was like, oh, God. Like, is he, 
what's going on here? And I would I would think that the Undertaker at that point, especially knowing that okay, I'm going over. Well, this is going to have to end, and this is going to have to end quick. Yeah, and, and who knows what the deal is, and who knows with monies and and everything. I mean, there could be a situation where. You know, we need to keep this match going. We don't want to anger the Saudi prince. I mean, there could be other other things involved here. Very true. Um, but it was something that uh, got really scary. It got really scary, really sad, sad really quick. Um, the initial part of the match was like, oh, this could be interesting. I mean, Goldberg, that first spear was like, ooh, we hit the spear right away. Um, you know, I really, I, you know, obviously I didn't think it was going to be a squash against The Undertaker. No. Um, but it was obviously that interesting way to start. And they've They've told that story now with Goldberg, that Goldberg, you know, and that's where, like, you know, you you can be critical of the WWE creative, and I think a lot of the criticism is warranted. Um, But the narrative they've told, which is kind of smart, like, Goldberg had these quick matches in WCW. Um, He was just dominant. Um, What they did with the WWE is they almost made it, like, his strategy, which loaned itself to more realism. That Goldberg was going out there, you know, wasn't that he wasn't a good wrestler, and that's why he has to be booked quick. It was the character Goldberg is a strong bastard and is going to go out there and kick your ass as quickly as possible and go home. It was almost like they made him like the Mike Tyson, the pro wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was a really good story to be told with him um, that, you know, it's not his lack of wrestling ability. It's the fact that he's just a fucking badass and he's going to go in there and he's going to kick your ass in like 10 seconds. And that's his thing. Um, and, and strategically as that character, he went in right away and went to hit that spear and then lined up for a second spear, which uh, that's a That's great storytelling, which is why when that match started, I knew all that shit. I didn't know who won, but I had heard all the stuff online on how bad the match was, was like, I kind of like it so far. Hmm. I'm kind of like, you know, and it, it's interesting, and it was better than I thought it would be. Um, really ugly turn, yeah. and, and just really scary turn. And, and I, you know, for the life of me right now, um, I don't, I like, I don't know where to go with either one of them. You know, again, I think Goldberg has more potential. Um, because he could still pull off a Goldberg match. And that's the thing when people and fans look at shit and they're like, oh, don't bring this guy back. Don't bring that guy back. It's styles with guys. Like, sure. Like right now, like people all, all bent out of shape. You know, Hulk Hogan keeps saying, oh, I want a match at Mania. If Hulk Hogan can hit the light drop, Hulk Hogan's style, you give him like six, seven minutes in the ring, give him a guy that like knows the Hulkamania thing, like, I guarantee you, Hulk, as long as he can hit the leg drop... And the crowd... The crowd, the crowd pop. Oh, absolutely. It's a big difference. Undertaker gave us in-ring classics. He can't do that anymore. He can't be Taker. Goldberg can still kind of be Goldberg. Taker can't be Taker anymore. That Taker's gone. So I don't know, like, with all the matches he's had at WrestleMania's, the streak is over. He had that program with Lesnar. Lesnar ended the streak. Get all his matches with Triple H, with Shawn Michaels. To me, I don't even know. What's the point of bringing The Undertaker back? Uh, What's left for him to do? There's nothing left for him to do. The man has done everything there is to do. And something to a conversation that we had pre-show, I think you're right. Even, Even on its face, stylistically, 
I don't think if you had both Goldberg and Taker in their prime, they probably would not have put on a good match. So because their styles are that different, as you said, you know, Goldberg was used to, you know, two minutes running and done. Taker, hell no, Taker's taking you Broadway. And there's no way, there is no way. I don't care if he is Goldberg that you're squashing Taker in any fashion. Well, hell, one of his early trademarks was getting hit with everything in the kitchen sink and then sitting up. So uh, even with both guys running uh, their top form in their prime, it probably would not have been a good match from the get-go. You're right, yeah. I mean, I think stylistically, the, 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 the two of them would never have worked. And to, to you know, and, and again, historically, you should know, Goldberg's a sick bastard. Goldberg is, and I mean that as a compliment, <laughs> but Goldberg's the guy that, like, he's so caught up with it looking real that he really puts himself through shit. Sure. So, like, they ruined a pro- he ruined a program in WCW by putting his, his fist through a window and, and almost dying. I, I, I remember that. Because he just got caught up with shit. The, the rumor I heard when he, um, when he got tased by uh, Scott Hall. I'm trying to remember, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash who tased him. But, like, they had, like, a real taser stick, but they are going to put, like, tape over the tape. And he peeled the tape back because he wanted to at least feel, like, part of it because, like, I'm not a good actor, so I need to at least get a sense of what it feels like to be tased. To kind of, you know, it's like, so he, he, he does these things. So the, the fact that, like, go and, and look, and he kicked Bret Hart in the head and essentially, like, ended Bret's career. Um, this is a guy that's, like, it's always been rough and he's always been, like, you know, let me go at 150 miles an hour, and then I'll deal with the wreck after it happens. Yeah. You know, like, literally, like, all oh, the brake line's cut. I'm still going to go 150 miles an hour. I'll deal with the wreck afterwards. <laughs> and that's how Goldberg wrestles. Like, he's going to go full tilt throughout the match, and whatever happens, happens. And unfortunately, he knocked himself out, and Taker is not in a position at this stage in his career to help carry a guy through this. Like you said, DDP at that point wasn't a stage to carry himself. There was one match, I'm try- I think it was a, a tag match with, uh, I saw it a while back. It was a while ago, but then I saw it again where uh, Chris Jericho was in it, and I believe it was uh, Bully Ray, or Bubba Ray, Bubba Ray Dudley. Okay. And Bubba Ray Dudley was concussed. And I remember this Jericho, like, Again, knowing his way around that ring, made sure to be near Bully at times to tell him where things were, to talk him through things, to call shit, because he knew that Bubba was out on his feet. Yeah. And, and it just showed what kind of an in-ring general Jericho was. Could he do that now? I don't know. But back, like, at that point in his prime with Bully Ray, with, I can say Bully, with Bubba Ray, he was able to, to help him through that match. I just think Taker right now is like he's worrying about his own shit. It's almost like we're we've both been in the ring. We're you know we can entertain, yeah. But we're no one's gonna confuse us with an in-ring general. Sure. I'm worried about my own shit, and 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 making sure my my shit looks good, okay. Um, and I'm worrying about the match. And I'm worrying about I'm hoping I don't screw up because I'm not an overly skilled person in that ring. Okay, I, I'm still thinking about, all right, I have to throw a hip toss, hip toss, yeah, here, okay. Like, there's still that, while I'm in the match, making sure I am doing the steps correctly and I am still, you know, where I need to be. 
And if someone was concussed in that ring, I am not skilled enough to try and help. I'm, I'd probably just be like, well, if you're supposed to go over, let me just lay down here. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be able to talk them through the, a concussed person through the match. And and Taker being older, and, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in a place where, like, shit, I don't know how many more old schools I have in me. So now I have to think about what I'm where it all came natural years ago, but now I got to worry, like, is a body part going to fucking fall off? So so I can't carry someone through that. So once Goldberg is like um, in La La Land, you don't have an Undertaker that can carry him through. And I think that really showed in this match. Well, yeah. And also, uh, you know, through no fault of the Undertaker, especially if, if you wrestle essentially once a year. Yeah, that's you know, true, too. You know, it's easy when you're, when you're in day out, day in, in the ring, five, six days a week, and you're doing matches. And it, it's, you know, after a while, sure, it becomes old hat. When you when your schedule lightens to, yeah, I'm going to make a yearly appearance, yeah, the, then it starts to become a different story. Then it's like, oh, like, now I have to reach way back in the files to figure out how the hell to get my, extricate myself out of this. So, uh, you know, I, I can agree that it's time for both of them to hang it up. Uh, I can also agree that, as you said, there is more longevity. I do see more longevity in uh, Goldberg style simply because it, his style of match lends to his ability. If you can give him two, three minutes, uh, you know, spear, jackhammer, hit those, I'm out, then he can probably still go for a couple, you know, a couple more appearances. Undertaker, uh, he. he Let's just put it this way. He would have to start upping his schedule simply to get that ring salt back in him. And to your point also, the fact that he's wrestling Goldberg for the first time. True. So there's no, you know, I I mean, I think Triple H is amazing. And anyone who hasn't seen the Triple H uh, WrestleMania week documentary on the network, it's it's awesome. And, you know, I like his philosophy on things because he's like, it was funny. He's like, everyone watches these TED Talks and stuff about balancing your life. Man, he's like, it's bullshit. You can't balance shit. Like, if you're busy, like, and all he said is, like, be in the moment where you are. So if you're working, 100% on work. If you're with your family, stop thinking about work. Stop wanting to go back to work. You're with your family. Like, and just be 100% where, where you're at. But it, it's like, there's no balancing. Some days it's the scales are skewed one way or the other. And it's like, it was a really cool philosophy, but a great documentary. And I think he's brilliant. I think he's brilliant as far as uh, the wrestling business. I think he's a brilliant in-ring technician. I think that uh, Triple H does not nearly get the credit that he deserves. And Taker and, and Triple H being older, I, I think he still could carry an Undertaker through a match. I think he's just that good. And Taker and Ta- Taker and Triple H have been together in the ring. So I think you could have them have nothing close to what they used to, but have a match that, that's presentable. I, I also look at this match. One of the biggest problems to me in this match was the fact that it was booked for the main event. And again, yeah. that could have been a Saudi thing. Um, you know, maybe it had to be like, that's what I want as my main event. Um, if I'm not to get fantasy booking, but I'll go fantasy booker. Um, I would have booked them to wrestle. I would have started the match exactly how they started it. Um, I probably would have had 
Now, again, he knocked himself out, but I probably would have had in some way, shape, or form hit the two spears, kick out, maybe not even hit the, not go after the jack hammer after he kicks out of the second spear, sit up, Taker gets some offense in, um, and maybe quickly a double down. Have Pick whoever. Pick two guys from the back to come in there and go after the two old dogs. Fair. Have, put on two guys from NXT. Have two NXT guys come down and be like, this is our time. You know, fuck these old guys. And then, of course, like Taker and Goldberg clear the ring. Give each other a stare down, shake hands, and nostalgia-wise, give us a, like, literally a 30-second match for the first time in history. Goldberg, Undertaker, together, against, and have a tag team match to have fucking Goldberg go in there, hit a spear, Taker walk, the other guy comes in to interfere, choke slam. They pin both of them at the same time, and it's just nostalgia pop at SummerSlam, and they, they go... They, Right up, please, right off into the sunset. Um, that's that's what I would have done with them because I just I looked at them like the, the styles again, like you, you were saying in their primes. I don't think their styles would have worked. Um, it certainly didn't work at this age, and I, I think. But there's always nostalgia, and the IWC poo poo is nostalgia a lot. And to me, if it's done the right way, you can always make it work. You can always make it work. I said if Hogan could still hit the leg drop. The roof would come off WrestleMania sure. if some guy would pick again. Pick anybody. Pick Elias. Is there ain't nobody's back there that can? I I am the greatest of all time. Nobody can touch me. Real American hits. And Hogan comes down like boom, boom, boom. Boot hits the leg. Come on. Oh, yeah. like, come on. Like stop. Like don't, don't tell me the, the place wouldn't like the roof wouldn't come off. Hell, the roof would come off and the lies would pop while he was lying. Exactly. Was exactly. <laughs> so I do think that, like, in case in point, when the crowd popped, when, when, uh, and, and he, uh, Dean Ambrose was smiling ear to ear when Jake the Snake hit him with the DDT. <laughs> like, you know, those things work if they're done the right way. Sure. And to me, if you, if you booked it where you had two guys come down, interfere, you still have the two old dogs clear the ring, and then they, Sorry, but you wind up being sacrificial lambs for perhaps the most dominant tag team ever assembled. And, and you have them have a match together. They hit their finishers, have it nice and quick, have them celebrate together, and then, and then go off. I, I think it would have worked that way. But um didn't happen that way. So, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm at the point now where I just – I really just want to see them both, uh, especially the Undertaker. Just I want to hear that, uh, you know, it's time to hang it up. And it's disappointing because uh, the way he went out against Reigns, and again, not a good match, but uh, I think it worked really well. And he came back, and it's once a year, and it's just it's like hobbling to the finish line for me. And I just think it, it's it's time. Like, and then the Reigns match. I mean, it, it was classic. Not the match, but. The goodbye, oh, yeah. absolute classic. Oh no, absolutely. Just being there, witnessing it, uh, you know, not a five star match, but you know, again, this is where I think the 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 looming shadow of the IWC stepped in because no one wanted Reigns to be, you know, the the torchbearer. Look, I'm willing to bet my bottom dollar that, you know, Taker said, I want this guy to do it. 
I want this guy because this guy's the future. And let's face it, Roman Reigns is going to be a star for a long time. You know, God, God willing that his, his uh, leukemia stays in remission. I think he's going to be a star for a long time. And he's still got the look and he can, and he can go. But the IWC wanted to crap all over it for no good reason. And that's why, you know, that's partially why I think you see these in these Undertaker re, you know, re-event, re-eventing uh, and, and coming back every one, you know, once a year. It could be the Saudi Prince angle. Who knows? You know, this is, as far as Super Showdown is concerned, it's still relatively uncharted territory. And I think if they keep this pay-per-view, they keep this yearly Saudi pay-per-view, you're going to see things slowly change. Because, you know, this is the second one. In the first one, if I remember correctly, they had no women there at all. They didn't even, they didn't even bring them. Next, this time they brought three. And they didn't appear on the show, but they made appearances, apparently. So who knows what the future holds for this pay-per-view. Agreed. And, and what a show was tonight. We hit some politicking. We had a lot of politicking. A lot of um, we kind of bashed left and right uh, at times. Uh, hit some wrestling. Loving the new format. But just to let you guys know, as we, we're we close to ending the show, in two weeks, this glorious beer, it is the final countdown for the beard. <laughs> Brookside Tavern, Valley Cottage, New York, three to five happy hour prices in two weeks. We'll be doing live. On Facebook, we won't be doing the blog talk, but we'll be shaving the beard. Come on out for appetizer specials, happy hour pricing. It's going to be a good time. Look at this thing. It's one of the last times you'll see it. This beard is amazing, but it is the final countdown for the beard. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. Thank you all for embracing the new format. Thank you guys who are on the Facebook thread. It's been a lot of fun. Again, we'll be off next week for Father's Day. All the fathers out there, have a great Father's Day. Everyone's hanging out with their fathers. Enjoy. Everyone just have fun next week. Be safe. And with all the stuff we talked about, stop yelling and start listening to each other. Everyone have a good night. Take care, everybody.